Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi everybody, just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times bestselling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and evidence-based supplements Retrition Plus. In each episode of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field. So together, we can learn fact from fiction, empower ourselves to become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Everyone's talking about it, but fibre is often something that we do forget about when we're looking at dietary patterns. But we know now that it's such a crucial part of a balanced diet, and our bodies need it to help keep the digestive system healthy and in good working order. Now, in the UK, it's recommended that we get 30 grams of fibre each day, so you should all definitely have a think about how much you're getting, but the latest research suggests that sadly the average intake is just 18 grams, so come on everyone, we're just half the amount at the moment, we need to get these fibre contents up. So the discussion that I'm having in this week's Food for Thought sees registered nutritionist Dr Pippa Gibson and I discuss how important fibre is for our overall health. We are really going in on all the science here and what we can do to help increase the amount that we eat. Hello, Pippa. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. I think everyone is talking at the moment about fibre and it's great. I think it's an area that needs to be discussed and I'm sure you'll agree. Yep, definitely something that I think we could all do, do with maybe trying to get a little bit more and obviously we'll go into that into the bit of the details as we go through this chat but yeah definitely something that people are interested in and I think it's turning you know into something that's a little bit more interesting and historically mm. it's always been something that's not necessarily been so fun shall we say and um, but like I say I think that the tides are turning for it. 
Yeah, it's almost as if the more knowledge we have now about the benefits, people are like, hang on a minute. So let's start with what is fiber, because it's not as simple anymore, is it, as it's insoluble and soluble? No, it's not. Um, so I guess going right to the um, very basics of it, you know, fiber is a type of carbohydrate. And we often think of, you know, carbohydrate as something like a macronutrient that we're having. But this is a type of carbohydrate that we can't break down as a human. So it passes through our digestive um, tract and then ends up into our uh, large intestine. And we may think of fiber as something that um, helps keep our digestive system healthy. Um, and probably most commonly is, um, thought of as something that helps prevent conditions such as constipation. But as you've alluded to, and I'm sure we'll get into later, but there are lots of different types of fiber and they all have different effects on our bodies. Some can influence how quickly foods can move through our guts. Some add bulk to our stools um, that helps us keep us regular. And some can impact on sort of blood parameters such as um, cholesterol or how quickly we can absorb sugar from foods and drinks and some can influence the amount and types of bacteria that we have in our gut. And we know that sort of bacteria and other microorganisms in our gut are going to be important for our overall health. And so um, there are a lot of things that we still don't know and we're still working out. But we know that fiber found in things like fruits, vegetables, um, whole grains, seeds, uh, nuts, beans and pulses and things like that. There, there is an exception to that. And that I would say is mushrooms. And it's because they're fungi, um, but they hold a special place in my heart. I love mushrooms because obviously they can synthesize things like vitamin D, topic for another time. Um, but relative to this topic, mushrooms can contain a, a dietary fiber called chitin. But, you know, sort of speaking about fiber in general, this is all food for the good bacteria in our gut. Um, and that allows them to grow in numbers and produce metabolites, which have beneficial effects on our health. So, you know, it's really important that we try to include as much fiber as we can in our diet. You know, our recommendation is 30 grams of fiber per day. But we know from um, the National Diet and Nutrition Survey, that's a way that we can look at population health. We're getting about 18 grams of fiber per day, which is yeah. why we want to see an increase. And 30 grams is for adults, I should say, because obviously think about children. Obviously, they're smaller, so we need to have less fiber in the sense that they are smaller. So it starts at about 15 grams for age two and then sort of incrementally goes up as they get older. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, children aren't necessarily meeting their fiber requirements either. So, yeah, we, we need to look at trying to find ways that everybody can have a bit more fiber in. So to start then, I think having heard that, obviously, wow, I think everyone's going, yes, I'm going to get my mushrooms in now <laughs> and I'm going to get all these different vegetables <laughs> and whole grains. Yeah. But how can the average person calculate, like you said, 15 grams, um, where can they go to find out how many grams of fiber are in each individual food? So they can work out maybe for fun one day, try and have a look and see how much you're getting maybe. Yeah. Um, so I know that there are sort of some tools out there that you might be able to download as an app. They aren't always accurate. And quite often people might have input the data themselves and therefore not thought about the fiber. They might be just looking at carbohydrates as, as a total and, and fat and protein, for example. If we look at the back of packets, for example, we can quite often see very easily and clearly how much fiber something contains. So um, on the back of the packet, it'll tell you per 100 grams. It also might give you an indication per serving. So you can find different ways to tot up those things and, you know, maybe just keep a little record on a piece of paper. I think that, you know, generally speaking, we don't always need to necessarily count how much 
um, we're having. But as long as we're having a healthy and balanced diet and trying to choose certain things like I alluded to, like those fruits, those vegetables, nuts, seeds and the whole grains, things like that, those are naturally going to be containing the fiber that's then going to help contribute to it. Obviously, we also see certain things like health messages or things like that on packets, and they might say that they are high in fiber. So again, they will generally try to indicate how much fiber they've got and sort of try and highlight that. But if we're looking at something that's high in fiber, we have to, you know, it has to be six grams per hundred grams um, for it to be classified as as high fiber. So again, just making sure that you understand that sort of as a health message in terms of if you are trying to increase your fiber or just try and calculate how much you're having. Yeah, so good measures, everybody. High in fibre, because legally on the front of packets, you can't make that claim unless it has six grams at least per 100 for it to be high in fibre. And then a source of fibre will maybe a little bit lower, but still contains the fibre. So really have a look at the back of the packs, everybody. Now, can I ask you, Pippa, to break down the two classics that people have heard of, the soluble and the insoluble fibre? Could you explain the difference between these two and then why there may be more than these two? Yeah. Okay. So um, a way that I try to sort of describe this to people is if we were to think about an apple and that's, you know, something that we've probably all eaten at some point in our lives and so we can relate to it. So on the outside of the apple, we've got the skin, which is kind of hard. It's tough. Um, And we think of that as maybe sort of insoluble fibre. Um, We can chew it, we can break it up with our teeth, but ultimately it doesn't really fully break down. So um, that's going to pass through our digestive system sort of whole. And um, my mum always called it roughage. So that's how I think of it as, and maybe you've heard that term too. Um, But this is kind of like things that are going to be sort of solid or not broken down. So things like a wheat bran or even the skin on the jacket potato, some examples of this that maybe you can relate to. But essentially insoluble fiber is the structural part of the plant wall that um, we can't break down. Um, it helps to add to the physical bulk of your stool in your digestive system. And therefore, this can help things sort of move along the digestive tract. If we have um, insoluble fiber and think of it more like the inside um, of the apple, so we can mash the inside of the apple up and it turns into sort of a smooth paste. So I always like to think of this as apple sauce. Um, this soluble fiber is soluble in water, so it can dissolve, um, it can um, make a sort of a gel in our di- digestive tract, and that can impact things like our gut transit times. It can make things move a little slower, and that can be a good thing, because um, it can sort of help our body to extract certain nutrients, things like that, gives a good you know contact time. Um, but it also can do things like make us feel fuller for longer. Um, and then this gelatinous uh, substrate is um, it's, uh, the, from the, the soluble fiber. It's acting like a sponge. So um, we can um, have it sort of help us absorb things and things like water. So it's going to help soften the stool, allowing it to pass more easily through the digestive tract. But this, you know, this soluble fiber can have other beneficial impacts like beyond the stool softening. Um, it can impact on things like our blood sugars and our cholesterols. And there've been studies that looking at soluble fiber and the stabilization of blood glucose levels in people with diabetes, but also with studies that indicate that soluble fiber can help with levels of low density lipoprotein and cholesterol. So the bad cholesterol, and sometimes it's commonly um, known as that bad cholesterol. Um, So therefore, you know, we can use it in a way that could help manage our blood cholesterol. And then we've also got um, soluble foods that are found in a range of different foods. So you can find it in lots of different things. Um, And also just, you know, because we've alluded to the fact that there are 
different types of fibres. And so actually, I know I'm very aware that this is a podcast, and so people can't necessarily see, but I'm going to, hopefully you'll be able to see this. Brought along a couple of different ones, different examples. Okay, so uh, here we go. So hopefully you can see, I've got this one, which is like a yeah. powder. It looks just like sugar. So hopefully you can just see that falling. And that's um, inulin. So that mm -hmm. one's quite a common one that you might have heard of, and you might have seen it as something that's been added into foods. And then I also have this one, which hopefully you can see, which is um, psyllium husk. Which a lot of people will have heard of. Exactly. So these are both classified as soluble fibres. So obviously what I've done, very scientifically, is I've put them into a glass. So you can see that this is the inulin. And it just basically looks like water. And the way that it sort of falls off the spoon, again, totally just looks like water. And in terms of taste, it would just taste like very slightly sweet water. This Sicilian husk. And so I'm going to try and. Oh, lovely. See that, hopefully. I love that, that texture. Gelatinous. <laughs> and I will say, I haven't like hydrated them in enough water because I wanted to exaggerate the effect. So if you were having that, and that is a, a heap teaspoon, which may well be a serving uh, for someone. I haven't put enough water in it. So I've really exaggerated that effect. But you can see the different effects of two fibres that are effectively called the same thing, both called mm -hmm. soluble fibres, but you can see that they have very different uh, properties. Um, so, you know, like we were talking about, there's lots of different fibres. Um, there are a, a couple of more that if I'm allowed, I might just quickly touch on just because I think that they're important ones that people might have heard of. So we have um, prebiotics. Um, and again, they're sort of a nice a word that hopefully people have heard of. And again, they're just a type of fiber that only our gut bacteria can break down. And um, so they help to do things like stimulate the growth of the bacteria in our gut, which can be a good thing. And although prebiotics are types of fibers, not all fibers are prebiotics. And that's important to sort of highlight because the prebiotics have to be tested within scientific trials to prove that they've got health benefit. So, um, you might have heard of something called fructooligosaccharides, or um, and if you haven't, they're found in things like onions, um, garlic, jerusalem, artichoke, and even into wheat. Um, but that's just to name a couple of examples of those. And another common one is galactooligosaccharide, which can be found in beans and pulses. And you know, sometimes people might have heard of these things because they can sometimes build up a little bit of gas in you, make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes people are absolutely fine with them. So I've got sort of those prebiotics, but then I also just wanted to really quickly touch on resistant starch, if that's okay. It's, an, it's another soluble um, fiber. It's fermentable in the gut um, and it acts like a prebiotic. So it gets broken down slowly by the good bacteria. Some of the prebiotics can be broken down a bit quicker, which is why sometimes people really feel the effects of eating sort of beans or garlic and onions, things like that. So... It gets broken down by the good bacteria and, and it produces things that are beneficial to our bodies, such as short chain fatty acids, which again, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and resistant starch can be found naturally in certain foods. So things like your green banana and things like that. But it also can form during the process of cooking and cooling with or without a fat source. So that's another thing to um, that's interesting about this one. Um, and we know that things like resistant starch can increase naturally in, in foods such as bread as it begins to stale. And there's a really interesting study looking at the staling of bread over time and the increasing um, amount of resistant starch as it becomes a bit more cardboard-like. Um, 
And then they also did it in terms of how that was going to be stored. So where we should store it best. So uh, maybe you've heard that we shouldn't store bread in the fridge. Uh, that's because it goes stale quicker. Well, actually, that would be increasing the resistant starch. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a trade-off because obviously we think of bread as something that's nice, soft and fluffy. And as we get the benefit of the resistant starch, we actually change the taste and the texture of the bread. So sometimes it's a really good thing and sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not necessarily what we're looking for. And there's also like other foods. So, for example, um, uh, I found a study looking at rice and it was about how it was cooked, cooled and whether it was heated again and in the presence of oil or not. Um, and they looked at sort of a couple of different types of um, common rices and then how they were cooked and then the formation of the resistant starch. So interestingly, um, it was the um, the rice that had been steamed, then cooled for 24 hours at four degrees, so basically fridge temperature, and then um, heated in the presence of oil, basically stir fried. And that had that was the one that had the highest resistant starch formation in it, which is really nice and really interesting because I don't know about you, but I quite enjoy a little bit of leftover stir fried rice. And so that actually becomes something that's going to be a bit more beneficial to us and also our gut microbiota. So we can both enjoy it in the taste buds, but also later down in the digestive tract. So, But everybody, please heat it really thoroughly because that's a risk of um, obviously when you're reheating rice, just piping hot, please, is the only thing I want to chuck in there on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously there can be things that if we don't cook, cook it properly, reheat it properly so it is piping hot, then yeah, then it could cause other things that we don't want to um, happen. But yeah, absolutely. So it's just something that I thought was quite interesting. We also know that this is relevant to things like our pasta as well. So for anyone who is trying to, you know, watch their wallet and see if they can do some batch cooking so that they can use less electricity, etc. This can be good for both wallet and guts. So yeah. Definitely something I'm interested in. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I love that. Pippa, so thorough. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. And I love the fact that I think a lot of people will have heard of resistant starch. And actually, I think it's really beneficial to our health. Um, your cold pasta salads, everyone. Think summer's coming up. Um, a salad niçoise when you've made those boiled potatoes they've cooled down or things that I think it just goes to show that food is so versatile and it's fascinating. And, you know, when you break it all down, the amount of carbohydrates we consume and how beneficial they can be for our gut with these different types of fibers 
It's a reason why carbs definitely should not be demonized, first of all, because they often are. It's the type of carbohydrate and the quality you consume. And as Pip has just said, potentially the temperature or where it's been stored, it's a world... It's a world of research. And I guess the next question I had for you is what is the actual process that a carbohydrate or a fiber goes through? So you could explain to people how it's broken down and, you know, the ingestion by a bacteria and the byproduct of, of a gas. Or so if you could just break down that digestive tract bit for us. Yeah, sure. So um, firstly, digestion starts in the mouth. So we have an oral microbiome. We also have enzymes in our saliva, which can start the process there. So um, it's from the mouth, it starts to digest those carbohydrates. Um, so the food will then um, travel down to the stomach, where it's going to be churned around with lots of other things and digestive juices. And the carbohydrate um, digestion starts back up again once it's um, exited the stomach, just because it doesn't like the, the really low pH of the stomach acid. So it's more favorable for the starch enzymes. Um, the carbohydrates are broken down into um, glucose, which is like sort of the, the single molecule that um, our body is looking for. And it's absorbed in the small intestine. That's what we need to help fuel our body. So that's where we get our energy from. And in contrast to that, the fiber. Um, so this hasn't been broken down because we don't contain we don't have that enzyme to be able to break this fiber down. It's it's um, not digested and, and it passes um, into the large intestine where it becomes food for our gut bacteria. And um, this is where fermentation can take place. And we get these beneficial compounds of metabolites um, and things like that. So short chain fatty acids, which maybe people have heard of before, um, and they're produced by our gut microbiota. So broadly speaking, the gut microbiota have a couple of important roles in promoting our health and well-being. Firstly, sort of as a physical defense along the um, gastrointestinal tract. Um, so they sort of reside in the, uh, the lining of the gut and they help to reduce the space for invading pathogens and things like that. So that they can really help from that point of view. But also, secondly, um, they, they compete for the pathogens, uh, nutrient sources. So they're all important fiber. They're, you know, they're there and they're wanting to eat that as well. So again, helping to protect us from the inside out. Um, our gut microbiota also, um, very metabolic. Uh, so they're constantly breaking down um, the uh, undigested parts of our, our diet. So the undigested carbohydrates or uh, fiber through fermentation. And then this process produces um, a cascade of different things which can affect both the gut as it, as it is, providing energy and helping them to grow and colonize um, uh, the, the large intestine, while our body benefits from some of these metabolites produced from this fermentation. So including those short chain fatty acids. So you might've heard of butyrate, propionate and acetate. So we also get those, we get things like vitamins and like I said, even some of those gases. Now, some of these short chain fatty acids, such as butyrate have been uh, or well known that you, people might've heard of these. So this is actually a food for our colonic cells. Um, and it provides them with um, a large amount of the, the food that they need to keep them happy and healthy. Um, and we also know that there are lots of other benefits of, um, of butyrate in terms of supporting our immune system. And I'm sure that, that people might have heard about that as well. Um, but it can also directly suppress the bad microbes while supporting the good microbes. So as it's an acid as well, so it's a short chain fatty acid, it's gonna reduce the pH um, of the gut again. So that's again, gonna be a positive 
outcome um, and it can help reduce things like inflammation um, and you know it's even been linked to having roles within cancer prevention things like that so it can help sort of look after the the gut barrier and people may have heard of the term leaky gut um, and so this is something where again it's just going to be beneficial and helping sort of tighten those junctions between the cells and so preventing the um the bacterial products from crossing over in, into the blood where we maybe don't want them or there are other things that it's going to let through that we do want to reach other parts of the bodies um, so it's going to be beneficial on both sides of things and that's you know one of the reasons why um, fiber is so good for our gut and then what I should also say is that uh, a big paper that's published in The Lancet, so, so that's a very good journal um, that we should be listening to. And the results showed that an increase of eight grams of fibre per day, which I don't think is is very big nor small. So it's quite, you know, quite achievable. Um, it's been linked to a 19% decrease in heart disease, 15% decrease in type uh, risk of type 2 diabetes, 8% decrease risk in colon cancer and 7% decrease in risk of death from all causes. So if that isn't enough to get you to try to up your fiber intake, I'm not quite sure what is because that's just oh. shows how far it can reach around the whole of the body. Pippa, it just solidifies. Every time that I have a guest on this podcast, we seem to always come back to this conclusion of go back to basics, just eat your fruit, vegetables, get the right type of carbohydrates in your diet. And this is why. Because when we're consuming a diet that's high in ultra processed foods or we're taking out, the, we're not consuming enough vegetables, we're not consuming enough fruit, we're not getting diversity within our diets. We are not maximizing the possibilities, the endless possibilities that our digestive system has. The capacity to reduce risks of all sorts of ailments is incredible. I loved the fact you broke down a fat short chain fatty acid. You know, I think we have a lot of people that may spurt out these phrases but the fact now our audience can really understand the fact that when you eat these things it goes through such a process inside your digestion and your intestines and it's healing your intestines whilst working and producing other things at the same time it works in synergy and if that's not enough evidence for my listeners not to go on some restrictive fatty take the carbs out diet I don't know what is because to me that was like yes Pippa this is why we need to eat whole food groups and wouldn't you say this is probably an element of why maybe the Mediterranean diet is so successful as well or reported to have benefits yeah absolutely I mean there's a um a trial that's uh, maybe people have heard of it called the smiles trial and actually it was sort of based around the sort of mediterranean diet so it's a modified mediterranean diet and again that's going to be including lots of like things like fruits vegetables and um, whole grains um, nuts and healthy fats and things like that so again it's something that we probably quite often talk about as a, a diet that's quite a good one if people want to follow specific diets um, but going going back to this SMILES trial, it was people that had um, depression. They were randomly assigned to one of two groups. So one was the control group. Um, they had a befriending intervention. And the idea of this is that they would still have the same sort of contact time with people so that it couldn't be sort of a, a personal um, difference in terms of one, one group to the other. Uh, and the second intervention group had a dietary intervention where they were asked to follow this modified Mediterranean diet. Um, fast forward to um, the end of the 12 week intervention and in the um, in the group that received sort of the, the modified Mediterranean diet, they had 32 percent of the people had improved depression to the point where they might not need medication. So remission. And that, that's in comparison to just 8 percent of the control group. 
And I have to say it was based on questionnaires and obviously follow the advice of um, your medical team. Um, but that's just an idea that food can do so much more than sort of just nourish you and give you energy to be able to do things. It could actually have far reaching um, effects in even things like our mental health. And perhaps the rates of, um, I mean, there's two factors that people are reporting and talking more about mental health, which is great. But perhaps we can reduce the um, incidence of how, how many people are experiencing this. Perhaps our diets have a way larger role, like you've just demonstrated with the SMILES trials to play, than we'd actually previously considered and thought of. And I feel like we've really lost touch of this message that we should be including more, not taking out in our diets if possible. We have the opportunity, especially in a privileged country where, like the UK, where we have access. Of course, even with cost of living, cost of living aside, if we can consume more plant products like beans and pulses, legumes, things that are more affordable and get more of yeah. that type of roughage in our diet. Roughage, sorry, I'm using the phrase as well that your mother loved. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I grew up yeah, with all mother. the roughage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what about if our listeners out there are thinking, well, I consume a lot of white carbohydrates within my diet. Is it really the end of the world? And what about a sourdough bread, for example? Are there some occasions where you don't really need to worry? It's not always the whole grain or whole meal option. Is it still okay? I think a lot of it might come down to um, preference. And I think even like when I think back to when I was a kid and watching my nephews and things like that, white bread just has a special hold over children, doesn't it? it and does. it does have it does have benefits to it. I mean, for example, it is, you know, it's going to provide energy for them. It can be fortified as well. So mm -hmm. it's not all bad. If we can switch some of these to a, a whole grain variety, there are going to be lots of benefits. So obviously we're going to be increasing the fiber, but there's also lots of nutrients that we're going to be increasing as well. And, you know, we touched on it earlier before about the ultra processed foods. So again, this is, you know, slightly less processed. If, you know, we were thinking about um, sourdough and I, I do actually make sourdough myself, I actually do a 20% whole grain or, or, or brown flour and then the rest white I think that gives me a nice sort of you know balance of taste texture but I'm still getting a little bit of the goodness in there and then obviously I throw in loads of seeds so that just again adds another dimension to it so again we can, might be able to get a, a white bread and have it with some seeds in it and that will be it's maybe a nice compromise for someone who's like oh well, I still really like my white bread and I often, you know, if we come on to an, another different type of carbohydrate, pasta. So yeah. for me, I love pasta. And actually, I really love white pasta. Now, I'm not having pasta three times a day. So that's, you know, it's fine. And I don't always have it at, as one of my meals. But the enjoyment that I get out of having a white pasta, because quite frankly, a macaroni cheese for me, it's one of the things I absolutely adore. And having white macaroni in there, is you know something that I really enjoy it's nostalgic you know my granny used to make macaroni and cheese oh. with white macaroni because well back in the day that was all we could get um yeah. I must admit I haven't seen a brown version of a macaroni it probably does exist out there but equally I've probably got the blinkers on but you can get <laughs> white pastas that have got a little bit of extra fiber in them again we could potentially with a, with a white pasta cook it pull it and then reheat it in the presence of a, a fat and that will then potentially increase what I like to think of as the sort of secret fiber which is our resistant fiber and that's just because we don't necessarily always know how much we're going to be getting from there so it's like a little benefit that we don't really mm. know about so I think it 
it has its place to switch various different things to a whole whole grain variety. And I absolutely adore the taste of, of brown rice. I love yes. it. But yes. for me, white pasta is is better. So that's a, a compromise that I can make. If I'm going to have whole grains elsewhere, it's okay to have my white pasta. But I might pair it with something that's high in fiber or a source of fiber or something like that. So putting, you know, legumes with it or extra portion of veggies with it, or, or you know, just adjusting my diet slightly so that I can still really enjoy that. Because food, although it's fuel, is actually, you know, it can be social or it can be enjoyable, things like that. So there's so many other aspects. Soul food. food. Exactly, yeah. I think an answer, yes, you know, if we're having white foods and we or white refined carbohydrates, we absolutely can switch but not switching isn't going to be the be all and end all, is it? So again, it's just finding that nice balance. I think balance is the key word, but it's so difficult for people. But to give some examples, you know, I've got two little ones and, uh, you know, I make that compromise. I know when they go to daycare or there's someone out somewhere else, they may not be getting those fiber rich foods often. And you have, you know, as long as they're enjoying themselves, food should always be seen as enjoyment. But at home, you can now get amazing wholemeal bagels. It doesn't always have to be the white bread bagel. And you've got to go for taste. And I agree with you about pasta. I have to say I struggle more with the whole grains. In terms of the, the taste and the texture, I think pasta is all about texture, but then it depends if you like it al dente, you like a bit of a chew, or are you that person that likes that macaroni quite soft? And children are just the same, but you can you can get a variety. You can even get extra flaxseed sprinkles and things now. So I love the message. It's just let's just try and experiment with food and get a bit more creative with the beans and the pulses that we're using within our cooking, which leads me nicely onto some questions from our listeners. Um, because I think we've given them tons of reason to try and get the diversity and different types of fibers in there. And you've explained beautifully that there are, I mean, just scrape the surface, to be honest, you've scraped the surface, but it's incredible. Um, Amy (laughs) has said, I suffer with IBS and increasing my fiber intake worsens my symptoms. And I think a lot of people will be experiencing this, to be honest, with the stressful lifestyles we lead, um, the more sedentary lifestyles. What can I do to help in this matter? Yeah. So um, obviously there are going to be specialists in sort of care of IBS. So that might be something that they want, would like to sort of investigate in, in the future or whatever it is. There are obviously going to be certain um, foods and, and certain types of fiber that may well aggravate it. So um, if there are particular foods that they've noticed that may cause them extra symptoms, then that might be a food that they're going to be tempted to ignore or cut, or cut out. And that's where someone who is um, trained specifically in IBS may be able to help guide them so that they're not going to be com- either completely cutting out or they can find something that's going to be still beneficial to them, but uh, is sort of a nice compromise again. So it might be that they have a very, very small portion of whatever it is that is giving them those symptoms. Then they can sort of work to see whether where their tolerance is for those. So where they, um, what can they eat comfortably without having severe symptoms? But again, that's going to be someone that's going to be specifically trained. So I would encourage them to seek the right professional help because there are going to be some people who may well not be fully trained. And so for me, I'm not trained in IBS, so I, I can't give exact advice. And everybody's going to be different. So it's a case by case 
um, scenario. So that would probably actually be somewhere that you would be able to sort of guide them, I hope. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And you're you're right. There's a lot of people out there, charlatans, I like to say on the internet, um, that will say, oh, we'll take you under our wing. Just take our test kit. We'll find out exactly what you're intolerant to. Then that will cure your IBS. And I'm afraid these test kits are not very valid at all. Um, and it doesn't work like that. Please see a registered professional. We have two wonderful uh, gut health dietitians that work with IBS in the nutrition clinic. But equally, there are lots of good books out there now by qualified people and they'll give you advice. But thank you for that, Pippa. The next question um, I thought was a good one to actually get in there. It's from Jessica. Is it true that blending fruit to make smoothies, because we haven't touched on fruit juices and smoothies yet, um, or fruit juices decreases no, the fiber content? It's important we discuss it. Mm. Um, so if we think about um, smoothies and if we were going to be making them and we put them into the blender, it's going to, it's going to mash um, things up in a way that our teeth wouldn't be able to do. So um, in terms of, you know, the fiber, it's uh, potentially still going to be there uh, and it may well just behave slightly different in terms of if it's mechanically been sort of smashed up, there might be a slightly different role. But realistically speaking, if we're talking about the the, the fibers that are going to be um, undigestible to us, they're still going to pass through in the same in the same way um, through through the digestive system and therefore have sort of very similar effects. So we're still going to be seeing a lot of those fibers reaching um, the large intestine and then undergoing fermentation. What we we might see is the sugars, the, the natural sugars found within um, fruits and vegetables, they might be released in a faster way. And obviously we talked about how fiber can sometimes help with the um, the slower release of the sugar. What we might see if, if we're having um, smoothies is that they might be more rapidly absorbed. And so therefore um, it, we might not have that effect from the fiber just because of that mechanical mincing. I'm not sure if there's anything else that you can think of that would sort of affect that. I just think exactly what you've just said is it, with fruits, um, look at it as if you like smoothies, it's great for some nutritional aspects, but if you're looking at the fiber consumption, it's probably better to eat it than to drink it, if anything. Yeah. Um, and keep the skins on when you're blending things, everyone. There's no need to peel things before you chuck it in. Obviously, a satsuma might be a different case, but if you're looking at... <laughs> I you do don't know want... people that eat satsuma skins. I know people that do. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me. It's like the kiwi thing. Do you know, my son eats the kiwi skins, my three-year-old, well, nearly three-year-old at this point. Oh. But yeah, he eats the kiwi skins. I can't, but I know there's nothing wrong with it. So I let him do it. But, you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Personal preference and maybe your, yeah, how your and gut responds. And maybe you've been brought up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know where he started. He just ate it. And I thought, oh, let's roll with it. Um, but, okay, one last question here would be... This is probably a good one to take on this one. I've heard that dates and prunes are a good source of fiber. Should we eat these to help our bowel movements become more regular? And I think this is the age old, um, I'll take it to relieve constipation related question. Yeah, so obviously they do contain fiber. Um, and uh, certainly for um, prunes, they contain um, a soluble fiber called sorbitol. So again, that can help on t in terms of drawing um water in to help soften those stools um they are obviously we're having them dried so they're a concentrated source of sugar so we just have to be careful of things like our teeth so maybe um having them as part of our main meals will help you know in terms of uh, our dental state making sure that we're not going to be getting um dental caries or things like that 
Um, so there, there have been studies that have shown that uh, eating prunes can be beneficial in terms of your um, constipation symptoms. Um, obviously, we also have to just think how, how many prunes are we going to be having and, and what is, what's the effect in terms of overall caloric intake, just because they're high in sugar and in a, quite a small volume. And then also we just have to think it's a, a prune is a dehydrated plum. Plum, yeah. Yeah, so if, if we're having something that's dehydrated, what else do we need to have in order to make that prune or, or the date work at its best? And the answer to that is um, fluids, water, hydration. We need to rehydrate it. So, And this is kind of the same for all of the, the fibers that we're talking about, that you know, get the best benefit from them. We actually just need to hydrate and make sure that that fiber has enough water to be able to work to the, its maximal benefit for us. Do you know, one of my favorite things to do, Pippa, is put dried fruit in a glass of water and just um, watch it expand. And I quite like the texture. It's not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea, but rehydrating dried yeah. fruit is one of my favorite things to do. Um, I, th I think I got that in pregnancy. It was a weird thing that I just wanted to do. Uh, now, um, I could talk about this all day, but I am going to move on to our fact or fiction round. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> Here we go. So if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. First one, eating more fibre will make me lose weight. I would probably say fiction. If you were just eating extra fibre, um, that's only one aspect of your diet. Now, OK, fibre sometimes makes us feel fuller for longer. We've talked about the effect that it has on uh, blood sugars, which may well reduce uh, cravings or, you know, things where we just want to eat just because we feel like we need that energy or something like that. So there are other sides to it that may well make it a, 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 a fact. But at, I think on its own, it's not necessarily going to be something that's going to automatically cause um, weight loss. Exactly. The energy as well. It's all about the energy. Um, too much fibre is bad for us. Part fact, part fiction. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. It's, it's, a, it's a, um, you know, how long is a piece of string? How much fibre are we having? If we're having purely only fibre and therefore missing out on other things that we um, need, whether it be things like protein or, or, or fat that we need for our body functions, then then yes, that might be too much. But generally speaking, for the general healthy population, we could all do with having a bit more fibre. So that would be beneficial for a large part of the population. So that it's a 50-50. Depends on which way you want to look at it. Well answered. Um, we've had the word faction used before, so I like that one, a mix of the two. Um, <laughs> fibre presents the absorption of certain vitamins and minerals. I would say no, because actually there are certain um, vitamins that, you know, come about because of the fiber in our gut so that's fact uh, uh, fiction yeah brilliant our bodies can function without fiber fiction we need fiber for all of the reasons that we've sort of discussed um in today's uh, podcast and many more that we haven't been able to talk about but hopefully more food for thought for people to think about <laughs> that there's we've like scratched the surface we have scratched the surface, exactly. Um, avocados are a good source of fibre. Yeah, so they, uh, fact, they do contain uh, soluble fibre in them. So, yeah. <laughs> Leaving the skin on our fruits and vegetables is better for our gut health. Um, I think, you know, we've said 
certain things we probably don't really want to eat but um fact leaving the fruit uh, the skins on fruits and vegetables is going to be beneficial. We also know there's loads of other things that are in the skins or fruits and vegetables, especially when there's a color change. Like if you peeled that off, there's going to be loads of benefits from like plant phytochemicals and things like that, which again, really good for the gut. I love that. I love that. We forgot to mention the fact, of course, different colors make be an indicator of different protective, protective qualities of each plant, you know, which is, gives them their distinct taste. But Anyway, that's a whole, yeah, if we could go on and on, I think, on, on that subject. Uh, eating a rich fibre diet, or sorry, fibre-rich diet, will cause bloating. Um, in part, fact, uh, you know, some people do experience um, bloating after they've had a particularly high fibre meal. And, you know, think of it as your gut microbiota going, oh, thank you very much, and then just producing those gases as their byproduct. Um, so, yeah. The other, you know, the caveat to that is actually if we sort of built it up slowly, we, which we haven't really talked about either. Um, but if we can build up our tolerance to fiber, because, you know, I say tolerance because, you know, there's going to be a, a limit for each of us and it's all going to be different. And this also depends on our on our journey in terms of how much fiber we're having. If we start to gradually increase that fiber, that's going to be beneficial to us. So we won't necessarily feel those, you know, that big bloating effect because our body's almost ready to receive that fiber. So it can be like a stepwise progression upwards. I love that. Please don't go home, everyone, and suddenly consume your 30 grams in one meal. Let's build this up slowly with lots of water, I think is definitely important. Um, children need 30 grams of fiber a day. Um, fiction. We said that right at the start, but yeah, so it starts depending on the age at around 15 grams. Yeah. Uh, frozen vegetables still contain plenty of fiber. Uh, fact, yeah, definitely. Always keep a packet in the freezer for, you know, when you're a little bit short on something, we just want to add that extra little boost in. They can be great to have. Absolutely. Foods can be fortified with fiber. Uh, fact, yeah, they can be. And they'll, they'll quite often say it, and we, as we were talking about sometimes, brands can use that as a as a way of a health messaging on the front of their packet but we don't always have to go for the fortification route no and in fact you used an example of the two fibers earlier on that does conclude our fact and fiction round by the way you did very 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 well it's good it's a good opportunity (laughs) to discuss more things but as you mentioned with the inulin and different types of fibers people do often add these to specifically i think i see a lot of bars with added um fibers in these days as well you know yeah I think also if you think about inulin it's a bit sticky so Mm. it can act and replace um sugar so you you are trying to make well they're trying to make a healthier product uh and and then the the added benefit is it's got like a fiber in it which is measurable so they'll see it as as a good thing but you know if we can do these things at home in terms of just making a couple of quick swaps so swapping our refined carbohydrates for the whole grains etc that's going to be really beneficial for us and um, hopefully won't really cost that that much difference. So um, recently we've seen that the prices of whole grain versus the refined actually is very comparable now, if not exactly the same. Mm, which is really, really good news. Now, that does sadly conclude the end of the episode today, but we always finish Pippa with a take-home message. Um, and My food for thought today would probably be Gosh, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to take in. And I think everyone listening will be inspired, I hope, to go home and make some simple swaps. Like Pippa said at the end there, let's try and get some brown rice in. Let's just, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Let's just try and chuck in a different fruit or vegetable. Why don't, instead of blending something, you try and eat the fruit that day. 
But ultimately, it really, really does go to show that we need to be steering clear of these fatty diets and all the misinformation out there and kind of discovering what makes your body tick a little bit. Everyone's got a threshold that um, withstands certain amounts of fiber and different foods. And why not experiment with yours? See what you can get in your diet because it might be good for your mental health too. Um, Pippa, what would your take home message be for everybody? I think, you know, that was a really, really lovely um, summary that you gave. Um, I guess, you know, we didn't really get to talk about this, but if you just think about trying to include a wide range of different plant foods, that's going to maximise the different number of, of fibres that you're getting. And obviously, we've actually only talked about four, but there's probably about 100 or so out there of different fibres. So trying to include lots of different plant-based foods is going to be, you know, a really good way that we can nourish our, our gut microbiota, but, you know, it's nourishing us from the inside out. Um, and then another thing, if I may, <laughs> is also just to think of, you know, increasing your, your fiber intake as like trying to run a, a marathon. There is no way that you're going to be able to just get up one day and go, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. You need to train for it and that's exactly the same way for our gut so for anyone who's thinking oh I'd really like to increase my fiber intake um you said it's slow and steady so just trying to include maybe swapping one refined carbohydrate for a whole grain variety or adding in an extra portion of something in here um, at starting slow and then looking to increase it maybe even on a week by week basis you know so treat it like a marathon not a sprint and that way I think that you're going to be doing so many lovely things for your body and hopefully you're going to be really enjoying them too. Absolutely Pippa Wow, thank you so, so much. I've loved, loved this conversation, listening to your wisdom, and I can't thank you enough for coming on Food for Thought. We need to get you back for another whole episode. Oh, I'd be delighted to. <laughs> if you're enjoying Food for Thought, hope so, <laughs> you'll love the upcoming episodes. So if you don't already, please subscribe. Make sure that you click to be the first to hear it each Monday. There's a lot of podcasts out there now, and I really hope that we're maintaining the ultimate research and the ultimate guest to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. So if you're having a good time and you're learning lots, please do leave a review if you can, so we can reach those higher highs in the charts and ultimately get to reach more people. That's what it's all about. And for more information about my best-selling books, the science of nutrition, of course, uh, deliciously healthy pregnancy, the Retrition Clinic recipes, so much more. Just head over to retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on all social media platforms: Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.